Once again, welcome to Last Ones at the Bar. Again, it's the one-stop shop for your boxing needs. Uh, my name is Wilton Henry. My name is Daniel Lee. My name is Lavelle Jackson. So again, uh, this episode, we're going to get back into question mode. We're going to talk about, you know, the most important pressing questions that's going on in the world of boxing. Um, before we get started, once again, how you fellas doing this week? I'm doing good, man. The week went by quick, I feel like. Like it's... I don't know. I don't know what's going on with time lately, but October's almost over. The week just went by quick, so I'm glad we're here. Yeah, I'm glad we're here to also, you know, uh, week was just busy, you know. We, we all work hard, you know. I, I know we were having our, our Texas string, and, and, and you could feel that everyone's busy with their profession, you know, and, and we're just happy to Get off work and be happy to uh, discuss boxing today. Yeah, man. You know, busy is a good thing. You know, what they say, slow motion is better than no motion. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Speaking of that, uh, mm-hmm. last episode, Vail, you said that, you know, when you got kicked offline, you said you miss uh, being part of that hip-hop conversation, that hip-hop dialogue that we had. Oh, you yeah. Know, <laughs> yeah sp- speaking of hip-hop, I mean, what you fellas listening to? So if, if I ask you, like, what's on your uh, playlist right now? Like, what, what, what's, what you been Oh man, it's 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 funny because uh, most of my music happens when I you know, when I'm exercising. Usually when I'm in the car, I listen to a lot of you know YouTube and podcasts and things of that nature. When I'm exercising. I ha- I have a, a favorite station. It does have a lot of you know old school hip hop on there. You know Boogie Down Productions is on there. Of course, uh, Scarface is one of my my favorite rappers. Is on there, and of course, Wu-Tang Clan is on there. Those are the ones that, you know, that I always get get a every time I turn Pandora on, those come on. And then there's the, you know, I have my African Root Station, which has the, you know, the African tunes. You know, when I'm when I'm doing cardio, I get in the groove, and you know, there's some old school '80s pop records with the, uh, you know, don't laugh at me. I'm a big Madonna fan. I'm a big Prince fan. You know, I'm big on '80s pop music. It just, it just gets my my blood going. So that's pretty much what I listen to. Get into the groove. Oh, yeah. You got a pr- yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, man. Mm-hmm. Madonna go hard. What about you, Danny? So beginning of the week, I like to do my chores throughout the, like, throughout the week, so I, I don't have to worry about it that much during the weekend. And so beginning of the week, I was doing some vacuuming and stuff, so I was cleaning up to some uh, Fila Cootie, actually. So um, I got like I got, I like some of his songs like spread throughout some of my playlists, so I just let them rock while I was cleaning. And then in the middle of the week, I was more so going back and forth between. I don't know if you guys know who Made in Tokyo is, but um, yeah. So I was on a little bit of his stuff. He dropped a new song last Friday, so I was on him going back and forth between him and FKJ. You guys know who FKJ is? No, I'm not up on FK. Jay, I need to though. No. Short for uh, French Kiwi Juice. He's like a multi instrumentalist from France, but um, he has some fire, man. It is very smooth, like the stuff that he makes. So I've been on him. I'm gonna see you guys some stuff, yeah, but he's, he's fire. Yeah, man. I'm just glad y'all fellas didn't say, you know, little Uzi Vert, you know, <laughs> some of the mumble raps. But man, let's go ahead and get this show popping off. So. We're going to start with the first topic. Um, so the first topic this week is 
we want to discuss uh, Tim Bradley um, and some of his latest antics and um, just top-ranked commentators in general. What, what's your guys' take on, on, on those two uh, things? Tim Bradley. It's interesting because Tim Bradley is, is a boxer who I respect a lot. Much, much respect for him. You know, he's the, he, he seems like the type that would be cool outside of boxing, the type that you could walk up to a bar and talk about boxing. He would talk to you back, you know, dap you up and everything. Um, he never – he didn't have a, a easy role coming up. Uh, he, he wasn't the, the superstar coming up. He had to earn his way. He earned it the hard way. He was the underdog. Um, he had to take pay cuts to get – you know, those shots that he really wanted before, you know, he got to a position to, to, you know, get the, the pack out fights and stuff like that. Um, he's not the most gifted athletically, you know, but he trains hard. I think uh, he doesn't do anything that's like great that sticks out, but together as a collective, he's a beast. You know, when you put it all together, almost like uh, uh, Vander Holyfield, uh, he always goes hard. He's never out of shape. Um, always ripped. He's never just walking around fat overweight when he when he was fighting. And he also gave you know Terence Crawford his, his his first chance as a sparring partner. You know, showed him love, all that. But Tim Bradley is one of those guys. He he he's the example of why truly boxers do not make great commentators. And I say that because it's always been, you know, you hear boxers and commentators and how they, you know, react to one another. Boxers usually say, well, you never been in a ring. You can't, you know, say this. You can't, you know, judge me or whatever, whatever. But Tim Bradley is one of those reasons why boxers don't always make great commentators. They're biased. They, they, they look at certain things a certain way. Uh, they And one of the biggest things, they compare – a lot of fighters to themselves, you know, not everyone is like them. Not everyone has the things that they have or the drive that they have, or even the physical gifts that they have. Um, now Tim Bradley made a few comments, uh, in relation, especially in relation, in relation to, you know, the fight last week with Teofimo Lopez and, um, Vasily Lomachenko. And the, the ones that caught my attention was when he said that, you know, Teofimo Lopez should just move up, forget those guys, move up to 140. Why he would say that, I don't know. I mean, I, last week, of course, I said that's an option, but it is an option. It's an option that he can't take. There are fights at 140 he can't take. But for someone who's not in knowing his team to, to, to say that, it's not his place to really even say that, man. As a fighter, as a, someone who's a foreign fighter, you should, you should be like, look, I just want to see the fights. I want to, to dominate at 135. Or whatever. And then I saw I read another comment that he compared Teofimo Lopez to, you know, a young Roy Jones, which is just mind-boggling to me. It's mind-boggling. And, and it's one of those reasons why boxers who and I'm not saying boxers shouldn't be commentators. That's not what I'm saying. I, I'm when when guy when boxers just retire and they're they're still like in their mind, they're still really just there, they they, they should have a time that they just get all that fighting out of their system. Um, like we saw it with Lennox Lewis. Lennox Lewis is, is kind of opposite of Tim, Tim Bradley. It's Lennox Lewis, every time a guy's getting his, 
his brains beaten out and the fire's life, Liz Lewis would would say, uh, make a comment that the guy should just go back to the gym, which is true. But it's like this guy's at the this he's in the fight in his life. There is no tomorrow. There is no go back to the gym. He he has to fight that out. But Tim Bradley sometimes when I hear him commentate, he's so critical of other fighters. And at first I was just like, eh, okay. Um, you know, him and Ajay Ward, they're very respectable men. Uh, they know what they're talking about. And Ajay Ward does this, but he does it in a more in a smarter way. He doesn't uh, demoralize fighters. When I hear Tim Bradley, it's almost like he's he's, he's calling fighters quitters and all this and that. And if if I was a, a 18, 19 year old fighter and I just started out and I'm fighting on on, on uh, a card that he's commentating on, some of the stuff he say, I can see myself being in in, in the room, dressing room after the fight about the cry because it's like, like he don't. I don't think Bradley understands a lot of these fighters. They look up to him. He's he's like a hero to a lot of these fighters. They don't need to hear. Uh, that type of criticism. I think that type of criticism is more reserved to being a trainer. As a matter of fact, I think Bradley will make a better trainer than, than, than anything else. He'd make a, a way better trainer than he would a commentator. Um, on the flip side, I think Andre War has progressed, and that's mostly due to you know his his personality. He's a little more humble as a, as a, as a person. So he, he kind of says the same thing Bradley says, but it comes out different. It comes out smarter. Um, even though he was, you know, he was wrong in his prediction that Lomachenko would, would, would uh, beat Lopez. And even though um, his scorecard was closer than, than everyone else's, he showed class and humility in that. I mean, he knew he, would, he wasn't 100% correct, but he showed class. Tim Bradley is like he's like from zero to a hundred, and I it's it just it's mind-boggling to me. And, and I say this as, as someone who, who who Tim Bradley is my guy. When he was fighting, he was my guy. So it it really shocks me and it mind-boggles me to hear him the way he he, he speaks on the mic. And, and something needs to happen, and that's all I'm gonna say about it, about them. All right. Um. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, you said a lot of information about Tim Bradley, you know, and your take on it, which is respectable. Um, I, For me personally, like, when I think about him, and I said this before, like, I really don't watch that much of top rank, um, their cards. You know, one is that, to me, they're not as interesting, just to me, you know, and then the other thing is just the biased nature of their commentators. So, in general, they just do too much. And I said it last episode of how they were just fawning over Lomachenko. And I don't gather that from other companies. Like, I don't get that from a PBC card. I think they're more honest with their take on the fighters that they have, just in general. And um, the problem that I would have with Bradley, not as a man, because I respect him. Everybody is different. Um you know, everybody has they, people come up differently. So their perspective on life is going to be different. So I can't knock the man for that. But um, the two things that caught my attention were the two things that you mentioned was the fact that um, Lopez right now, who's in the hottest division for him just to make the claim, you know, he's the man now. It's time to move up. That's really to me. He's he's uh, promoting the company line. 
because he knows that that's a top-ranked fighter. Most of the other guys are not top-ranked guys, so move up to fight other top-ranked guys. So it's just that, and that's something that really is spoiling the, the sport. And I, I was hoping that somebody like Tim Bradley wouldn't, you know, promote something like that that's going to be detrimental to the sport because that's where the action is, and that's where you want that competition to lie. You want people to see the best fighting the best. So that just was disappointing to hear him that. And then it was just ludicrous to hear him say that um, he reminds him of a young, not just Roy Jones. <laughs> he said a young Roy Jones at that. And like, as, as I don't even see the similarities at all. So it was just mind boggling to hear him say stuff like that. Um, and just for him to even do that. I think that, again, I respect him as a man because I see him in different um, settings. I remember he walked up on Broner and then that level of the way they were talking to each other and neither one of them were backing down, but at the same time, it was a respectful way that they approached the situation, you know, and Tim Bradley brings that out of people. Um, and I'm saying just outside of boxing. When he commentates, like I said, I don't necessarily, he's just bringing his perspective as a fighter. And I like that match with a color commentator. So I want to hear somebody who was involved in the game, regardless of how they articulate their points. It's just they know the nuances of the game. So I like hearing that type of stuff. But as far as the things that he say outside the ring about other fighters, I don't see that from other fighters. That's where the bias part comes in, that where he's, he's um, promoting the company line. I don't see Lennox Lewis. I don't see Roy Jones. I don't see Foreman not necessarily doing those type of things. You may not agree with them, but at the same time, you understand where they're coming from. But Tim Bradley, it just seems like he's just trying to do what top rank wants him to do because that's who is, who's paying him. And that's a lack of integrity. That's a lack of character. But at the same time, I understand that we're in America and people want to earn a living. But, you know, sometimes you got to speak um, like what's real, you know, as opposed to just what your boss wants to hear. But as, you know, as commentators for for Bradley, at least, um, like you guys said, you know, he's he's just kind of too quick to compare fighters after the fact, you know, after the fight is over to other fighters or, you know, even to himself. He's just kind of too quick to compare. And I don't quite understand where he gets some of those comparisons from. And then even during the fight, he kind of gets too easily caught up in certain moments. And then you, I, I kind of noticed that there were a few moments, like even in the fight, and, you know, he was on to some things, but, you know, there were a few moments where in the previous fight, the Loma fight, as well as other fights where, like, somebody else that is commentating have to kind of try to bring him back, you know, when he gets caught up in these moments. But, um, you know, Ward kind of, in a way, lacks the kind of like the flair that some of the other commentators have, but... In the top rank stable, at least of commentators, he I feel like as as it pertains to like the ex fighters, he's one of the more objective ones, and like you said, Vel, he's one of the more humble ones out of the ex fighter commentators, at least. And you know, I just kind of appreciate his insight, you know, when he speaks. Uh, only thing I would add in though is just, uh, and I don't want to belabor the point, um, is that. I just, like I say, top rank, it's hard for me to watch those because they put too much, they put too, too much sauce on their fighters, you know, they try to promote them too much and it takes away from just, you know, the beauty of the sport. It's like they're just trying to hype this person up, hype this person up, just way too much, you know, and like I said, I don't, I don't see that. I don't get that from the commentating and other um, 
like from other companies. I don't see it. And the irony is, is that Tim Bradley was saying that about HBO. There's an interview out when he was saying that they're um, commentating is too biased after he lost to Pacquiao. He has an interview where he's making that point, you know. So that's just, you know, that, that's interesting that, you know, it's like a full circle that he came and he's the one, um, the problem now, as opposed to somebody else or opposed to HBO being a problem. So uh, moving forward, um, so two days after the Lomachenko and Lopez fight, Vasily Lomachenko underwent surgery for a damaged right shoulder, which, as some of you may recall, was the same shoulder he dislocated against Linares uh, two years ago. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on that? I'll just leave it kind of open-ended. Anything you guys have, this is the floor. Uh, well, he has surgery. At first, it was a question of it being – legitimate because it's like now we're hearing about him you know him having you know injuries and at first they wouldn't necessarily specify what it was but i mean you can't really fake surgery or, or them opening you open opening you up uh, but at the same time i think that's something he could have said I, you know fighters don't usually let on they have they're injured before fights but if they're injured enough they will pull out and that's especially in the, the the COVID nineteen era where you know fights are being rescheduled like 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 anything they're being rescheduled um, every every other week a fight is being rescheduled and pushed back even in as hard as it used to be like even the even just for convenience like the um, the car with. Davis and Santa Cruz, it got pushed back a week just for them to, you know, get uh, people in the venues and change the venues and make more money. Um, he could have had that fight pushed back. He could have had that fight rescheduled if he was injured enough. Um, but, hey, hopefully he makes a recovery. And, hey, if he gets that rematch, hopefully he rectifies. If he doesn't, then it, maybe it, w- it was a, a big excuse then. So for this one, because it's kind of easy to – for me personally, and I imagine other boxing fans and sports fans in general, it's kind of easy for us to, when stuff like this comes out after the fact, it's easy for us to write it off and as, as an excuse. I just kind of wanted to see who said what, what's, what actually happened, what are the facts, right? So I looked it up, and, you know, as it's, as it's stated in the article, the few articles that I read about it, uh, Lomachenko didn't mention any of this about the injury before the fight um, to his promoter or uh, directly after in the post-fight interview. Um, only his surgeon spoke about it in a report. And his surgeon said that um, he had treated Lomachenko uh, for a bruised rotator cuff when he arrived to the U.S. to train roughly six weeks ago. And, and uh, after the fight, they did an examination, and it revealed some chip cartilage. So, you know, taking them at their word, and, you know, it's not like Lomachenko said it himself. Like, it's very easy. Like, I don't know who – I don't know how these type of reports get leaked. I, I'm guessing it's not all one of the – you know, the same way. But taking it at his word, um, I don't think it's possible to say how it would have affected his game plan, even if he wasn't injured. But I personally think him – if he wasn't injured, he may have been more aggressive earlier – which, frankly, I think would have got him hurt quicker. Um, but all we could do is speculate, right? So 
Um, but again, it was the same shoulder as the one he dislocated against Linares. And like I said last week, like it's hard for me to see him. Like you have to wonder with that being, you know, with that being a, a, a predominant injury, is that where his power went after his first injury? And is it going to expect him to make a full recovery? I don't know if I see a full recovery. Like, sure, in terms of, like, the the bone itself, but, like, the power, I don't know. So, like I said last episode, I think he's done at 135 for still. I, I don't know. But this is what I do know. I know that before the fight, you said specifically, because I, I, I fell asleep, as I told you before, I fell asleep when it, before the fight came on. But in the lead up to the fight, he specifically was saying, he said, um... I'm healthy. He said the shoulder's no problem. And he was talking about how effective that he's going to be because this is the first time that he hadn't had any, you know, injuries or anything like that. This is the first time. And he was hitting the heck out of that bag with, before the fight started. So that's what I, you know, noticed. And then also, regardless, let's say, for instance, he is injured. It, it just seems like, to me, an excuse. It looks like the, the Manny Pacquiao situation. Um, to me, that's just what it appears to be. You know, if you do have an injury... We don't really need to know. Okay. I mean, things happen all the time. I've seen Floyd Mayweather fight a dude, and he's sitting up there. Now, you knew that he had an injury because I think it was his hand or something like that. He, like, barely can hold the hand up. Like, so you saw it visibly. Like, you, you see it. The other thing about the injury that sounds fishy to me is the fact that if you injure, it would appear to me that I would be fighting somebody, and, you know, it's somewhere along the way where, I'm not, I do something, I hurt it, and I'm not punching. So the rest of the fight, I'm looking different. He didn't punch the first part of the fight, but he was. He looked like Lomachenko the last part of the fight. So that's the reason why it's fishy to me because of the fact that it should be the other way around, typically, when you have an injury. But, you know, maybe if, if uh, Tiafimo give him a rematch, he could tell him, any excuses, Vasily? You know, like, <laughs> like Tarver did, Roy Jones, but... I'm going to leave it at that. And Floyd did use that excuse against Castillo. I remember. He said, I beat, I beat Castillo with one, one arm. <laughs> he, he, said that, he, he said that, that he, in victory, though. But you can see it, though. You can see him, like, the visible damage to him in that fight. But I was referring to another fight that he had when he was, like, literally, I think they might have called it a knockdown one time. when he Carlos got, Hernandez. Carlos, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, let, let's move on to the next topic. The next topic we're going to talk about is this uh, Spence. Spence is talking about, you know, even before this Garcia fight, he said he want to move up. He want to go to 160 and take on uh, the cash cow Canelo out there in uh, Cowboy Stadium. What you fellas think about that? So this is another one where I was like, at first when I, when I, when I first heard it, it was like, you know, hearing it in a, just by itself without any context, it was like, all right, so what about the names at 147? You know, what about the, the Crawfords and stuff? And that, and that point still stands. But uh, when I went back to, to read up on it, um, he also said that he wants Pacquiao at 147 um, next year. And his direct quote about Canelo was, with Canelo, I definitely entertain that. That's a huge fight. That'll be huge for the Cowboys Stadium when we're back to 100% capacity. And so it's possible that he was asked about that and responded or asked like a who would you want to fight type of deal. 
So to what, you know, we haven't heard Canelo say anything about that. Um, so, to, you know, it's, it's still hearsay at this point of what I'm saying, basically. And, I mean, the fight is intriguing because of the names involved, but, you know, I I don't think it would be a good move for Spence. I don't think he has enough skills to offset the size advantage that Canelo would bring to the table. And I think he would probably get knocked out and it would probably affect the rest of his career, if I'm being honest. So I hope that it was just an interview that was, you know, a matter of a hypothetical that doesn't really actually happen for the sake of his career more so than anything, really. He, he doesn't really gain much outside of a payday. He doesn't really gain much from that fight. And Canelo doesn't either. Yeah, with the fight, um, see, I didn't get a chance to look into all of that. But even before I just saw the statement of Spence warning Canelo, um, I kind of figured that this is something that could possibly happen a couple years ago because I thought Spence, at the height of his popularity a couple years ago when he had that homecoming fight, I was thinking, I said, you know what? Canelo probably is going to figure out a way to fight Spence because that's probably the biggest fight that he can make. And then they can put it at Cowboy Stadium. That's going to be an event. And it also is going to give him time to go ahead and avoid some of those other guys, you know, buy some more time. And so I was thinking that that was a possibility before. And I know Spence is always willing. That's what I like about Spence is the fact that, you know, he don't really shy away from smoke. But if this, but I'm looking at it through this lens, if this was to happen now, and that's, again, that's when I was thinking about us talking about this topic, I didn't do the research. So if, if that's the case where he's going to um, like fight somebody like Pacquiao, then cool. I'm not looking at it like that. If he was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about it in a way that I initially thought um, was going to happen. Like after he fight Garcia, then he'll fight Canelo. If that's the case, what this would be, this would be the same thing. To me, it's like a Brooke going up to fight Golovkin. You know, it'd be the same thing as Garcia going up to fight Spence. You know, um, Brooke still, when he went up to fight Golovkin, he still had Thurman. He still had um, uh, other fights that he could have, you know, fought at 147. And then Garcia, when he went up to fight uh, Spence, he still had that Loma fight looming. And see, now that fight don't even really have the same luster anymore. We missed out on a huge fight that could have meant something really in a sport. And then Golovkin, when he fought Brook, he had the Lara fight still available. I'm just saying better opposition. Charlo, he hadn't fought Jacobs yet. And basically at that time, it he hadn't really been tested, you know. And then um, also what ends up happening is it makes the smaller guy a smaller fighter, you know, it zaps them, zaps them of their momentum that they have. And then as far as the bigger fighter, it just makes them look like a, a bully. To me, like right now, Spence's focus should be on Thurman. It should be on the fight that he has with Garcia, you know, Crawford, and just overall just cleaning out that welterweight division. And Canelo, to me, he needs to add a Charlo or Andre on his resume, you know, and quit stalling, man. You know, will it make money? I'm sure it will. Like that would be a huge event. But at the same time, is it good for boxing overall? I don't think it is. But, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I, I agree with all those points. It's just that I look at two things, money and legacy. And if Spence wins this fight, I mean, he's, he shoots to the moon. And I know if the cat, when a cash cow calls your phone, you pick that phone up. 
But I must say again, if Spence wins, you can't think of a better comeback story. Sylvester Stallone can't write a better Rocky than that. He hasn't wrote, write, written a Rocky with that type of realism and that type of triumph yet. But if you, if you want to be great, you got to take the risk. Um, like, for example, with Pacquiao moving up to, to fight Delahoy. We know Delahoy was old and drained, but nobody remembers how they were trying to match Pacquiao up against Edwin Valero or Juan Diaz, who was at lightweight, or or uh, even someone like Kazumaior, who was at lightweight. No one remembers that those fights could have happened. All they remember is Pacquiao moving up to fight uh, De La Hoya. When Sugar Ray Leonard, you know, came back three years off from eighty from nineteen eighty four to eighty seven. Um, he didn't even take a tune-up fight. He went straight to Marvin Hagler. No one remembers that. No one says that Sheree Leonard didn't fight Marlon Starlin. No one says that Sheree Leonard didn't fight Donald Curry. No one says that Sugar Ray Leonard didn't fight Mark Breland. No one said that Sheree Leonard didn't fight Lloyd Huntingham, who were all at welterweight at the time between 1984 and 1987. The only thing they remember is Sugar Ray Leonard beating Marvin Hagler. Now, is that a risk for Spence? Absolutely. Could it have effects possibly if, you know, if he if, if his body doesn't hold up? But there's still there's still a question mark. We don't know how his body is going to hold up. And if his body is that broken down that he can't perform, I mean, every, any fight he gets into, even at welterweight, is a risk. He shouldn't be fighting if he's that broken down. But if he says he's 100%, if he says he's good, if you want to chase greatness, some, sometimes you got to take those risks. And, and I'm not saying that, that, that if I was Spence, I would do it. I'm just saying. I'm looking at it from the perspective of if he, do, if he does do this and is able to pull it off, I mean, this would be a – He's up there with Floyd Mayweather right now. He'll be the next Floyd Mayweather if he did that. Right now, all the guys who are currently fighting at a certain level, they're, they're, they're actually suffering from the, the, the Mayweather Pacquiao era that just left them, that they would not be as popular or be as uh, ranked in all-time status at the end of their careers as those two. But if Spence moves up and, and, and beats Canelo, he, he's in that conversation. And he will be the, the next – if he beats Canelo at Cowboy Stadium, he will be the star. There's no doubt about that. Now, am I saying he should do it? I don't know. That Only Spence can answer that. But if he does do it and he wins, that will be probably the, the, the best win of, of the decade. Nothing that right now, his only arch nemesis really is, is uh, Terrence Crawford. If if Errol Smith moves up and beats Canelo, there is not much Terrence Crawford can do short of beating Smith that's going to equal that. I mean, Smith will always be ranked over Crawford if he does that, no matter what Crawford does. Well, that's interesting. Like, I hear what you're saying. And um, the only thing that I say is this, is that I don't, I can't, the reason why I can't, fathom this is the fact that yeah obviously you know what i mean obviously if you get a chance to make money fighting canelo sure go for it go for it buddy you know what i'm saying 
But the context of it, like I can't put, this would just be Spence. He would move up to fight Canelo. Okay, cool. This is not like Sugar Ray Leonard fighting Hagler. It's not the same. It's not the same as even Duran moving up because it was undisputable of, in terms of who was the best in their respective divisions. Nobody was saying that they could beat Duran. Like, he has unfinished. We don't even know if he's going to win this fight. We don't know. It's a 50-50 with Crawford. That's a matchup with him and Thurman. Like, that's what would bring the sport. Like, I'm not looking at it from, like, an individual standpoint. Yeah, I'm sure if Conor McGregor come back, yeah, go for the Canelo fight. Make the money. Whatever happens, happens. If you win, then you're the first person who did this. Yeah, I'm sure. But I'm saying in terms of the health of the sport, like, guys need to go ahead and take handle their business inside their divisions. And, you know, I think that that's a great story. You had that accident, regardless of the accident. You're the number one guy. You went through Thurman. You went through um, Crawford. You went through Garcia. Sugar Ray Leonard had already beat Benitez. He had already beat Hearns. He had already beat Duran. He already had went up to 154 to beat Ayub Kaluli. So he already had done those things. His thing was, he's the man. So now, yeah, I could go ahead and pick and choose, and you're going to have people like, and, and Hagler's won him. Like, he's dangling like, no, Sugar Ray, you need to fight me because, you know, they knew that it was the opposite, though. Sugar Ray is the cash cow at that time. It ain't like Canelo's the cash cow. So if you're the cash cow, it to me, that just looked like a bully move for you to have all of these other guys who at, are at your weight. And, and check this out. The other thing, why this is so crazy it's Canelo had the 175-pound championship. So you are a light heavyweight dude coming back down here to fight a one. See, I just don't even – it don't register well with me. Now, again, he could do it and, you know, more power to him. You know what I mean? As far as him winning and, you know, this comeback story and all of this type of stuff, and I still don't think it's going to make him better than some of those all-time greats. You just had a great feat. You understand what I'm saying? So what, is, what are you going to do afterwards? He'll put himself in a – worst situation because now you're the middleweight champion i don't know how he would compete in that division because i just saw sean porter really rough and spins up at 147 so how are you going to respond when all these bigger guys that you don't have to face if you do beat canelo so i mean it's just to me dude just handle your business at 147 you handle your business at 147 do what the heck you want to do you can do what the heck you want to do right now i'm just saying for the health of the sport of boxing is what i'm saying I'm saying Spence beats Canelo. I will I will power my final draft and Celtics screenwriting software up. You can hire me as a screenwriter. I will write that story. Hire me, Spence. <laughs> That's my selling point. Uh, yeah, moving right along. Uh, we had this, you know, the victory between uh, and 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 to your point, Will, about you know top rank. Uh, and they're commentating. In my opinion, Teofimo Lopez is not a, a four-belt champion. He might be technically, but not really, because Devin Haney has that has a, a WBC belt, the actual one, not the super champion. He has a WBC belt. And also, I think Javante uh, Davis has the WBA belt. And that's when we had these problems with these super franchise champion and all that stuff. But we have it. We have a possibility of a, of a fight, uh, the unfinished business. It will be between Teofimo Lopez and Devin Haney. This is a fight I've been wanting to see 
for a while that I always predicted that would be a super fight. And it was funny because I predicted that this would be a super fight at 140 or 147 about three to five years from now. But it looks like it could happen now. Us boxing fans could get a treat. Uh, what do you guys thought on, on that? Like, what, what would you think would happen in a fight between those two? Yeah, so we got the um, unified champ, but not the undisputed champ in Lopez. And we got the guy who he calls the email champion in Devin Hayden. So that would be an, a very good matchup. Young studs right here, man. Very good fight. Uh, good young fighters. Um, again, you get those belts, then you're going to make yourself a cut above the rest. And then everybody's going to be gunning for you. The good thing about these guys is look like they, they're willing and, um, you know, and they want those type of challenges. And I think Haney called, contacted Lopez the day after the fight, and he said that he's willing to, you know, give him what he wants. So if I look at this matchup, you know, Haney, 24-0, 15 knockouts, 5-9. Uh, Tiafimo Lopez is 16-0, 12 knockouts, and he's an inch shorter at 5-8. Good boxer puncher. Um, I think that when you have fighters like this, um, Lopez, when he fought against Basile, he has some advantages, especially that height, the size. Um, and it's just Lomachenko is going to have a tough time with a guy like uh, Tefimo Lopez. But Haney being the fact he's a little bit taller, just a little bit taller, that's going to create more problems for him. And he's a he's a pretty big 135 pound fighter. Also, Haney's not like a hard puncher, but he's a razor sharp puncher. And I think that what was would give the female Lopez problems is like I say, the height, that speed, and then he's going to be hitting to to female Lopez because he's a, a lot more easier to hit than Devin. Devin is a slick fighter, so that's going to give to female Lopez trouble. So I would lean towards Devin Haney. The only thing that I'm apprehensive about is Devin Haney's competition and the pros. And so that's that's the biggest concern that I would have. But Tiafimo Lopez really doesn't have that great of a resume himself. It's just that he had that last fight against Loma. Um, but again, just based on his skill sets, I think that Haney would take that match. The interesting thing, though, is that Devin Haney and Ryan Garcia, they went three and three against each other in the amateurs. So after that, I would like to see them tangle um, after that unification match if Haney is to win. So all I have to go off of is what I've seen so far. So the dig I have, Lopez up to this point, um, he's proven himself to be the top lightweight so far based on his wins um, and possibly pound for pound somewhere. I don't know. I, I haven't ranked my pound for pound since – Saturday, but possibly. Uh, Haney has not proven himself up to this point. Haney's biggest competition has been against, I don't know, Alfredo Santiago. If anybody knows who that is, then you're a bigger boxing fan than me. Um, so not to say that Haney wouldn't step up in competition, because he will, obviously, once he's tested. But because of because Lopez has already done it, I would actually give Lopez a slight edge right now. You know, looking at sort of their stats, uh, Haney has a longer reach with 71 inches versus Lopez 68 and a half inches. Um, they're the same height otherwise. Like you said, Lope, uh, Haney is razor sharp. Uh, you know, Lopez has been in deep, deeper waters and, you know, against elite competition. 
it's like 5149 right now. You know what I mean? Like it's hard to call, but I would love to see it though. This fight it will be an interesting fight to to choose. You know, I'm a Haney guy. I think Haney has a lot of advantages over Lopez, but Lopez has that victory. He's more proven. He has the power. Um, and we don't know if, if Devin Haney can, can even take that type of punch. Um, but one thing that's interesting about those two, and even the lightweights, all these fights that we anticipate, it's funny. All these guys have sparred one another. It, it's interesting. Um, you have to keep up with who sparred who. Lopez, Haney, Garcia, and 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 Devontae Davis, they've all sparred one or two or all of them. It's interesting. So they all are acquainted with one another. They know one another. They know what each other each of them can do. Um so with that, I think I think out of all of them, Lopez might seem the most confident, but I think Haney, uh even before that for the win. Uh, of Lopez beating Lomachenko, Haney was more confident in that he could beat Lopez before all of that. I think the win with Lomachenko, the way that that fight went, I think it, to an extent is being kind of blown out of proportion. Like Lopez just went in there and just dominated the entire fight, and he's saying he did this and did that. You watch that second half of the fight, he's, he's, he was getting his neck snapped back when Lomachenko started firing shots at him, and he didn't look that good. I mean, of course, he had the, the, the power to bail him out in the 12th round, but if he did not have that power, Lomachenko was putting it on him. And, and you have to wonder what would that be like if someone like Devin Haney starts to put it on him because we know it's going to happen sometime in that fight. So for that, how that fight went, I would have to favor Devin Haney in that fight. I think he has a, a lot of skill sets. The only thing he isn't proven. But, but then again, um, I remember when Ajay War entered that Super 6, he wasn't proven proven neither and I and I would have lost that bet. So right now I'm putting my bet I'm betting on Devin Haney to, to be the, the top guy at lightweight. Um so Will you've said a few times before that we're bigger boxing fans now than you are despite you having the longevity in the game. You know what I mean? Uh having been a, a fan for longer. So it implies that Boxing has changed over time. Like, I feel like we can all agree on that. But what are you guys' feelings, thoughts on where boxing is now? Like, what is the current state of boxing? What's that? Uh, so I think I'm, I'm going to address that first thing you said before, at first. You know, uh, I don't want the listeners to think that I'm an old grandpa around this team. You understand <laughs> me? So, no, you know, when I started watching boxing, I told you I come from a family that likes you know, sports. My brother is named Cassius after Cassius Clay. My name is Wilt. I'm named after Will Chambers. So my father was a huge boxing fan. So just, you know, coming up, um, huge boxing and basketball fan. So, um, you know, we watched all the big fights and we're the youngest in the family and your family is doing that. You just see everything, you know, as far as what your family was doing. So I just remember stuff early. And um, also, you know, when I was coming up as well, I remember my mother used to have me read reading books in the summer and we went to the library and I remember getting this one book in particular that had just like all of the great fights in there. So then I got a chance to see uh, fights with, um, it was Yvonne Durrell against Archie Moore and they were talking about they had these three different fights and one of the fights, it was just knockdown, drag out fight. So I just remember all of that type of stuff. So just my experience seeing stuff early 
that made me want to, you know, continue to watch the sport. And then also they used to show fights on Saturday mornings. Not Saturday mornings, but like, yeah, it had to be like four or five o'clock where they'll show some fights that I wouldn't have seen them because I was too young to see them, but they would show them because they were just like that good of a fight. Victor Galenzes would have fights at light heavyweight. You had Matthew Saad Muhammad. And so I was watching that type of stuff too. I just was glued to the screen because them dudes would went at it. You know what I mean? And it was just to the point where all of the top fighters were fighting each other. And boxing was a much bigger sport at that time. You know, just like you have football, basketball, baseball, like boxing was right up there. And if you were the heavyweight champ, you were like the biggest person in sports at that time. You were bigger than life. So I just wanted to address that too. Cause again, I ain't, I'm not a, a grandpa right now. You know what I mean? I could be somebody grandpa, but I'm not that old. Um, but as far as the current state of boxing is concerned, um, I'm looking at it through the negative lens because we got a question that we're going to answer uh, next and it's going to talk about fixing the problems of the sport. But currently I think that the issues that we have is just too many belts. Um, you got things like franchise tags, you got biased commentators, you got guys being hyped up before they do anything, before they beat anybody. You got, um, you know, I even think that daring to be great thing is messing up the sport. You know what I mean? It's, it's like I say, you should clean out your division, but we'll get to how to rectify these problems. Um, you also have situations now more so than ever where guys are not committed to the sport. Sometimes they miss weight or you see a guy, you'd be like, dang, he's, you know, he don't have a fight coming up and they'd be like real heavy in a suit talking about the fight. And you're like, dang, you know, you let yourself go. So, you know, boxing is something that you got to do. That's that's a, a, a way of life. You know what I mean? If you're going to be the best of the best. Um, and then the other thing is that fighters, like I said, need to clean up their division. Um, and then, um, you know, that those are some of the issues, man. And then let me see, what else that was I thinking about? Uh, fights that need to happen like they don't really get a chance to be made uh yeah that's pretty much it but there's a lot of issues with the sport still a beautiful sport but you know those are some of the current issues that we face yeah i have to uh, agree with will and i don't want to get too much into it because that goes into the next question um but i will say yeah boxing has way too many belts it's it's and um way too many weight classes it's like we don't even know who's who anymore. It's like, who's the heavyweight champion? Normally, when we ask that question, the average person out on the street could tell you the answer. Now, I can I can tell you an answer. I can tell you an answer because I, you know, as y'all all know, I follow boxing. But you ask someone in eighty, you ask my mother in nineteen eighty nine, who's the heavyweight champion of the world? She's gonna always say Mike Tyson. It's like it's obvious. It's no question about it. Um, it's, it's it's just too much. Boxing is 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 it's, it's harder to follow for. Uh, sometimes it's, I have to take myself outside of being a boxing fan and go back to being a a casual fan. And it's harder to follow boxing as a casual fan today than it would have been in the past. Um, and also, I think, and I want to get too hard on on fighters themselves because i don't do that for a living i don't get hit in the face for a living i don't get paid to boxing doesn't pay me any any type of way um but i think there is a a a dedication issue with boxers today uh how many times we we look at the heavyweight division is like like 
only like 20% of them even have a six pack. It's like they got beer bellies. And then you, then when you have guys who are muscled up and stuff, they throw 10 punches and they're tired already. And it's like, I remember Vander Holyfield, you know, Riddick Bo going at each other, you know, throwing like 60 punches around. Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier going at it. And, and I don't think, and, and people like to make that excuse that, yeah, athletes are bigger. I don't even think they're, they're actually bigger. They may be taller. I don't think they're actually bigger. I think they're they're less conditioned to to to, to do what they used to do. Um, it, it's just interesting. I, I I think the current state of boxing is just man. It, it's a sport that I love, so it's, so I can be biased on on some of the things that that I do see. But there is hope. You know, there's always hope for for boxing in of itself. You know, we 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 got all these potential fights uh, that that can be made. Uh, we just talked about the lightweight division. That's a it's a popping division, and, and a fight that could possibly happen is it's almost like Shane Mosey and De La Hoya. So there is promise. There's promise at at, at middleweight, but certain things have to uh, change before that can you know can can take place. And we, you know, of course, we're going to talk about that later. Uh, but that's all I have to say about that right now. Well, I don't have much more to add to you guys because I mean I became a boxing fan. While it was in its current state, really, like when I started watching, it was around the time where, you know, everybody was calling for Mayweather Pacquiao. It was around that beginning time where, you know, the best wasn't really fighting the best. So you guys stated that much better than I could have. But uh, I think what we really want to talk about here, we talked about the problems. Let's talk about the solution. I'm going to say one thing to improve before boxing. I um, get into that. Another reason, main reason why the sport is in the stage that it's in right now is because of the fact that most of your, you know, fighters who would be like your top fighters, they're probably in other sports. When I was talking about boxing in this heyday, it's like boxing was something to get into where you can actually, you know, earn some money, you know, some real money. Like now it's other sports that you can get into where you can earn a whole bunch of money. So those guys who probably would have took up boxing to get paid, they just in other sports, you know what I mean? So, but to answer your question, how we can get the um, sport back on track, I mean, the, the biggest thing is what I say almost every episode. Fighters need to clean out their division. Until they do, they need to demand, you know, that they get the best possible opponent. So if somebody is so, quote, unquote, avoiding you, then go for that next, you know, best fighter that you possibly can. It has to be in you, though. Like, you have to want that. Like you, and, and sometimes guys get, they sound like that early. And then once they get like a little belt, then they think they Floyd Mayweather. They, now I think they money Mayweather as opposed to, you know, keeping that same hunger and that same aggression. Like, no, now I want him. I want to, you know, as opposed to like the Thurman. Like Thurman is a prime example of what I'm talking about. What he say? Uh, don't don't duck me, son. Or something he was saying. And he trying to fight uh, like Paulie Malignaggi and stuff like that. So, But when he finally got his title, he called out Mayweather. He called out everybody. And he just seemed like he wanted smoke. And you can really ride out with Keith Thurman at that time because even if you didn't think he was that good of a fighter, you still like that mentality. But as soon as he get his belt and then you got other dudes calling him out, he like, no, you got to do this first. You got to – and it's like, come on, man. Like, you're not there yet, Keith. Like, if you go ahead and knock those guys – anybody that's calling you out, you got to make yourself the bookie man. You know what I'm saying? And then you got to put yourself in a position where – you are, so if you put yourself in a situation where you are the money man, 
then everybody's going to want to fight you anyway. You know what I'm saying? But prior to that, guys are wanting to fight you and you are not, you ducking the smoke from them. And it's just, it's turning fans off. It's just, it's, it's a mess when it comes to that. Like I say, back in the day, it just seemed to me more so that guys, they just want it all the time. They want that competition. And now it just seems like somebody wants a belt and now I'm a champion and then I'm going to figure out a way where I can make my million dollar payday here I can in, in the easiest way possible to make that money that's what I'm attempting to do you know what I mean that's the way it looks like right now but how we can also make the sport better is that I'd look at it like this see they need a um boxing needs what I would call order right so right now it's all over the place like PBC you know they got they fire they got their stable fighters but then you got the zone over here if they can get this event and make money off of it, then they'll try to pull a fighter over here. And it's just, it's a mess. It's not about a certain order that's in place. That's going to, and then I think fans will understand it too. If they put this order in place that I'm about to say, I think they need to come together and they should set up fights like on a Saturday or Sunday morning. And those fighters that they have on Saturday and Sunday morning, that would be your upcoming fighters. That'd be your prospects, guys that don't have a title. Once a guy gets to the point where he's like a mandatory and people are like, yeah, that's a good fighter right there, then you can move that guy up to fighting on like Fox and CBS, right? And so that can be where you see those type of fights on Fox and CBS, like the PBC or whoever have their fights, you know, around that time. But you will know if I'm watching Fox and CBS and stations like that, then I know I'm I'm watching a guy who's really talented. Now I want to see, you know, if he can win a belt. Once you establish that, then the guys who have their belts and you got your unification matches, you know, um, that can be like your pay-per-view fights. You know what I mean? Or those fights can be on like Showtime or they can be on premium channels. But it has to be some type of pecking order that everybody can understand. Now stuff is just too all over the place. So I'm hoping that they develop something that's going to be a little bit more, um, you know, healthier for the sport. Yeah, I like that pecking order uh, (laughs) answer. That brings me back memories of, uh, you know, of course, the, the ESPN Tuesday night fights and stuff like that, where you knew what you were getting. You you what you wasn't gonna get like uh, the money guy or the the, the the top top guy, but at least you were getting a quality. You knew you were getting a quality fight and you were going to be entertained, just like a, a, a Saturday afternoon fight. Um, and with that said, I think the the uh, the solutions. What can fix boxing? I think a lot of those answers are simple answers. I think the implement implementing those because there's too many hands in the pot and everyone wants their hand in the pot. No one wants to, you to take their hand out of the pot. There's too many weight classes and they're trying to create more weight classes and they're trying to create more belts because more weight classes and more belts mean more money for the sanctioning organizations and it's just it's just too much. And I, I think that the ones that have the power to fix all this is really is, is somewhat the fighters. Because the fighters, they have the choice to say, you know what, I'm not going to fight for this belt. I'm not going to fight for this title. You know what, this is the way class I want to be. Like, if, if most people decide, if most if most guys at 140 decide, well, I want to fight at 147 because that's the historical, you know, weight class. You know, I, I would rather get a title there than, than here, you know. That I think more other fighters will follow suit and they will have more prestige. That's one of the reasons why welterweight still has that prestige today is that it's one of those weight classes that 
if you're great, you have to, it's almost like an unwritten rule that you, you have to pass through it. Um, so it's, it's, it's way too many belts. It's like, what, right now, 17 weight classes, uh, four belts. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to actually make this calculation. <laughs> I'm pulling my calculator. So, so it's 17 weight classes. It's four belts times four. That's 68 types of belts. Before we start adding in the, 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 the super champions, the franchise champions, the, the interim champions, the champion of Amitrius or whatever, whatever. It's just, it's just, it's just way too much. And, and, if, if you take all that away, let, let's say, even when it's like two or three belts of weight classes, the guys have to fight one another. It's like, it's no way around it. Like, let's say, for instance, there was just one weight, one belt at what weight right now. You think Crawford, Garcia, and Spence, and all of them wouldn't have fought already for that belt? That, that, that question will already be answered right now. <laughs> so... Everyone wants to be a champion. Is I think the, the the road to being a champion is easier right now. Anyone can say I got, I'm a six weight champion. I mean, Henry Armstrong he fought from 126 to 160. It's like he only has you know three weight classes to it to his record. Uh, that's featherweight, welterweight, and uh, yeah, featherweight, lightweight, and welterweight. Uh, today that's what that's five weight classes. Right, that's the weight class he could have been in. That's like you add like what three other belts to that so i think um it's just too much going on right it's, and and, and it, everything is watered down and the fighters just have to fight there's no way around that i think the most immediate improvement would be better judging on the scorecards and it doesn't always affect the, the outcome but like if you have casuals that, that tune in for like one fight every like six months to a year and then the judges for that fight screw up the result what you have there is a confirmation bias because like they're already the casuals are already probably skeptical of the sport and then they come watch this fight to be entertained and they want that they want to confirm that what their eyes saw during those 12 rounds or however many rounds are confirmed by the judges and then the judges you know give some give a result that's opposite of what we saw like the most blaring example i can think of in recent history in terms of like a big fight that drew people to watch it would probably be uh the first fury and wilder fight where like sure you have like the two knockdowns but for the most part water got out boxed and even some of my casual fan friends said that you know what i mean um but so i think that'd be the most immediate improvement like you have existing matches judge them correctly um, it didn't affect the Loma Lopez outcome because, uh, you know, because that was pretty obvious, but still some terrible cars on there. Hold on, hold on. Because there's that, a couple I things think... that um, I was going to address, and I know it's getting late. You know what I mean? It's Thursday. I'm sitting up here seeing uh, Trump and uh, <laughs> Biden going at it. Right uh, now. Yeah. Hey, they, hey, they going at it harder than some of these fights mm-hmm. I've been seeing lately. So, oh, man. Um, I've seen what, I, what, what, what I was going to say, though, as far as it's a couple things. Um, like one, that Wilder fight, man. I thought, I thought it was legit. Like as far as that being a draw, but that's that's one thing that I was gonna mention. But I didn't want to go on and on. Is that like commentating, and then like sometimes when you have 
biased commentating. Like, I thought that that was a biased way of the, what the commentaries were saying in that fight because I, it, I don't think it was anything other than the fact that Fury was such an underdog because of that was like his first big fight coming back after what he had went through. And so it's like the expectation for him, anything that he was doing, it was going to be like, oh, you see Fury do this? Because they're thinking that that right hand is going to drop him. And when he was moving the way he was, to me, I didn't think that he was doing much. It was more so that he wasn't allowing Wilder to do stuff. And it wasn't like he was like doing it in that first fight. Like the first half of that fight, it's, it's like some of those rounds could have went either way. That's what I was thinking. But if you listen to what the commentators are saying, sometimes that's going to have you like, oh, man, dude is winning the fight. It's like the um, that Charlo fight when he fought against uh, Tony, was it Tony Harrison? Tony Harrison. Yeah. Harrison? Yes. So in that fight, when I was watching it, I'm mm-hmm. listening to the commentators, and it's like, no, this fight got to be closer than what they saying because they kept giving the rounds to Charlo. And I'm like, that was kind of close right there. And it was a whole bunch of those rounds. And then they looked like they were so surprised that the fight went to Harrison. And I'm like, yeah, it could have went to him. But the way they were saying it, that's what caused the controversy of it. You know? Um, but no, that's all I want to add, man. Well, the only thing I add to what you were saying before about the order was to PBC's credit, they kind of probably have the best layout as to what that would look like, I feel like. Because, like, you know, on Showtime, occasionally they have, like, on Friday nights, they have, like, the the prospect sort of edition. I forget what how they brand it, but you know you're going to get prospects at night. And then they have some of the lesser fights on, like, your Fox Sports 1 on, like, a Tuesday or a Thursday or a Sunday night. They have some of the better fights on a Fox or whatever on like a Saturday night. They aren't pay-per-view. And then they have their pay-per-views. Now, whether or not some of those pay-per-view fights or pay-per-view is debatable, but I feel like that's kind of a good template to go off of. How other networks and other promoters would actualize that, I don't know. But I think they got something going there. If they can sort yeah, of get that yeah, right, I just, like, that'd it, be it, it would be start. good if, like, if they had but, that uh, like, across the board. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody was on that same page, you know? One of the things I like a lot about boxing um, that's kind of underrated is that it's almost like a, a geography lesson. Like you get fighters from different countries, different you know cities, states, uh, different races, backgrounds. Uh, you know, some that are impoverished. You know, even some that grew up you know middle class and it, and it becomes successful. You get all these different backgrounds, like a melting pot. It's 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 not like any too many sports that I've seen. It's not like basketball where you know, all a bunch of tall black guys or, you know, uh, uh, football where everyone's muscled up. Boxing is, is, is just so vast in, in who can participate. Um, and you get to learn a lot about, you know, what type of people from, from where. I, like, like even um, the Baltic nations. I didn't even know there was a such thing. You know? <laughs> but it's people from over there. You know, you learn a lot about uh, uh, boxing, you know, a lot about geography through boxing. Um, but um, to take it back, what, what do you guys think? What's some of the best uh, areas where you think boxing flourish? Uh, I'm thinking the best city, best state or best country, uh, whatever way you want to answer it. What areas do you think are those hot spots? 
far as uh, like a country, I would say definitely United States. So the United States typically had your best fight, especially historically. Um, yeah, I, I would say United States. And then as far as the state, I really didn't think that through all of the way. And then when it comes to cities, there's some that come to mind like um, uh, Detroit. Um, you got shoot, Cleveland, Cincinnati, got some, D.C., uh, New York. But I think that if I'm thinking, like some of those are kind of top heavy where you have like some of your all-time greats, but then they kind of drop off. They have good fighters, but I'm thinking like across the board, I would have to go with Philly. Like Philly just, they got that Philly toughness. You, you know, you had to, you know, like <clears throat> B-Hop, Joe, Joe Frazier, you know, um, Danny Garcia, Eric Harding, uh, Matthew Saad Muhammad, Freddie Pendleton, David Reed, um, you know, a, a lot of those guys. And then even if you're thinking way back, like you got Charlie Burley, you got Billy Kahn, Harry Grib. So, you know, they, they produced a lot of, you know, top level fighters. But I just like that Philly grit that they have. I remember Eric Harding, he had uh, got knocked out where he was close to being knocked out by Antonio Tarver and they rematched because he beat Tarver the first time. And so <laughs> I'm talking about the man was out, legs, spaghetti legs. And so, like, I'm like, man, please stop this fight. So the ref, he was, like, out falling over the ref. So the ref said, um, you okay? He said, man, I'm from Philly. So that's what he's saying when he all groggy like that. But, you know, good thing the ref stopped the fight, though. But, you know, when it comes to my mind, like, when I'm thinking about the best fighters or the city that produced the best fighters collectively, I would have to say Philly. That's actually what I had, too. <laughs> So I feel I feel vindicated that that was yours too because you got the history to back it up, but um, and, and and even to back up with that, you know what I mean? Like I've noticed that for fighters, fighters typically get better by fighting the best competition, and so you want to be within proximity of the best competition to fight them. So some fighters got to move to a state or a city with the best competition. Some fighters are bred in you know an area where the fighting is the culture. And so by proxy, you're going to have the best competition there already. So when I think about that, Philly comes to mind for sure in terms of city. And I would just add uh, the state was kind of hard to think through in terms of like natives because like you got, you got a lot of guys that, that train in L.A., but they're not from L.A. They kind of transplant. But uh, lately, Texas has been making some noise, you know what I mean, with the Charlos, with, with Spence, and with some probably some other people that I'm not thinking of off top. And then it kind of, in terms of countries, definitely the U.S., like you said. Uh, Mexico's always been a player. And uh, U.K.'s been up and coming. And, and and I don't know how to classify it, but, you know, that Eastern European area has been has been sort of sending out some, some heavy hitters as well, particularly in the Russia, Ukraine, yeah, that, that kind of area dudes. too. Yeah, yeah, I got, I got to agree with y'all both. Um as far as the country, of course, it's, it's, it's home is USA. Um, but much respect to, to, to Britain. I think they came a long way in, in the last 20 to 30 years. Um, and to think you can become a bigger, a big star out there, and they make a lot of money. Like, they sell out soccer stadiums. They, their whole mood uh, when it comes to boxing is, is, is very impressive. Um, but as far as just to, 
the talent level, the talent level of Britain hasn't, you know, increased over the years. But I, of course, when you have like Lennox Lewis, uh, Chris Eubank, all the way up to Tyson Fury. But I mean, U.S. is home. Maybe I'm biased. What's USA? Um, as far as the best city, um, when I think of boxing cities, I think of you know. Uh, New York, of course, you, you know, they have the history, and, we, and we, especially with the Mike Tysons and uh, Riddick Bowes, the Brooklyns. Uh, then I think of D.C. Um, and I, I definitely agree with you guys about Philly, especially in how the style they fight. is It's interesting because they will, like, bite down, grit, and fight it out, even if they know how to box. Um it's, it's almost like the Meldrick Taylor way of fighting. You know, he could have danced and, and, and made it all pretty, but he didn't. Um, of course, then you have home for me, which is Detroit. You know, they have that that grit about them also. Uh, and it's funny because <laughs> because the moment I saw Tony Harrison, I thought I knew he was from Detroit. He just looks like a Detroit dude. When I hear him talk, he sounds like a Detroit dude. When he laughs at, at Charlo's taunts, it was like a Detroit dude. It was almost like the first time uh, I saw that video by that rapper Dejlo. I might be mispronouncing her name, but I don't listen. You know, I don't listen to any rap that's within the last ten to fifteen years. But I remember seeing the video by Dejlo, and I was just looking at the video. I'm like, now I, I didn't know anything about her. I'm like, why is this something that looks familiar? Like, I don't know. These people just looks like I know them or something like that. Now I looked her up. She's from Detroit, <laughs> and it's like I didn't even know Detroit had a, a dress style until I saw that video. So, uh, shout out to Tony Harrison, uh, represent Detroit. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely have to give it to either. It have to if I had to narrow it down, it had to be Philly or DC because those two cities are the most consistent, and and I would probably get the edge to Philly. You know, Philly is just that that real deal right now and now we move to our last question simple question we have this fight it's not a real big fight but it'll probably be a treat to watch uh sometimes we watch these fights uh we look we look we just see the names we may be like i don't know i don't really know too much about them but sometimes those fights you know can produce classics so we have a fight coming up uh sergey lipnitz Lippinus, we saw him against uh, Mikey Garcia and, and Lamont. And we saw him actually uh, retire Lamont Peterson, which was interesting. Uh, he, he's going to fight against uh, Custio Clayton, uh, undefeated fighter. Uh, Custio is 18 and no, you know, um, 12 knockouts. Hasn't fought out of Canada. But it'll probably be an interesting fight. What are you guys' thoughts on that? So this is a. Lippiness is pretty much fighting a replacement on short notice. And for what it's worth, you know, dude, uh, Clayton was an Olympian in 2012. And he's unbeaten. He's, what, 18 and no 12 knockouts. Um, but he hasn't had a lot of, given his age, he's 33, and his amateur credentials, he hasn't had a lot of, and by a lot of, I mean, he hasn't had any fights against any notable opponents up to this point. And so, being even though there's not a bad replacement, these type of match matchups typically don't favor the replacement unless your name is Andy Ruiz. Then you know, but um, it, it's it's hard to see Lippinets not winning this one. 
Yeah, I, I just I put it that way. Uh, I'm not familiar with his opponent, so I really can't speak on that. And I, he was supposed to fight somebody that was much tougher. And the fighter that he was going to fight that's much tougher, that was supposed to be like a pick and fight. But, you know, I'm not knowledgeable enough on his opponent to make a prediction. Um, you know, you have to lean towards lifting this based on the fact that the other guy is level of competition. But you just never know because I don't know what stance he fights in, his style. If it's something that's totally different and Lipinus has been preparing for a totally different style, then that could throw him off. And so we just never know. But I don't have enough information on this opponent to make a prediction. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll definitely keep posted and, and check it out and see what happens. Um, anything else you guys want to share? No, nah, man. That's, I think we did what we needed to do. Uh, I think it's about that time for me to tap out. What about you, fellas? I feel good about it. All right. Well, then we'll see you later, and uh, y'all have a great Monday. Yes, peace. Peace.